Welcome to World Footprints Radio, the show where we celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage. Featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, World Footprints Radio. Join us as we go on a journey with a star-making musician and see the world behind the lens from a traveler's and GI's point of view. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to World Footprints, the leading voice in socially responsible travel and lifestyle. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick, and along with my husband, Ian, we're spotlighting an award-winning musician from a famous family and two film festivals looking to change your perspectives on travel and the military. Thanks, dear. At World Footprints, we introduce you to people who find their passion and pursue it with commitment. Frank Stallone is one such person. The man with the famous surname knew from an early age that music would play a dominant role in his life. His unique award-winning music style has paved the way for artists like Harry Connick Jr., Rod Stewart, and Michael Buble. So I figured, well, let me just try something different that no one's doing. So then I figured I'd start doing the American Songbook. And so for my era, I was like one of the first guys of my era. Before that, she's a little older, would be Lynn Bronze, that obviously was one. And Harry Nilsson was another one. A new film festival based in New York promises to entertain, educate, and bring to life authentic travel experiences. Josh Wolf is the founder of the Nomading Film Festival that launches this month, and he joins us to take us on a cinematic journey from the traveler's perspective. I think a big part, a big impetus, I guess, for, for doing this was for people to show and to sort of allow, I guess, an audience to travel vicariously. Uh, through other people's adventures. The GI Film Festival is the nation's most significant venue for screening military films. Laura Law Millett channeled her military service, entrepreneurial spirit, and entertainment expertise and co-founded the festival with her husband, Brandon, to let filmmakers tell the story of our troops, their successes, and their sacrifices. We have the real-life heroes. So sometimes you'll have a documentary or a narrative covering a subject of a war hero or a family who served, and then you actually get to meet the people who were on the screen, whose story was covered on the screen. And knowing that you've met someone who went through all that service and sacrifice, it, it's a pretty emotional moment. People people get choked up at our festival. I'm Ian Fitzpatrick, and along with my wife, Tanya, this is World Footprints. Visit and connect with us at worldfootprints.com. We love meeting people who pursue their passion, and more so those who identify their passion at an early age and pursue it with commitment. Frank Stallone is one such person. From an early age, he knew that music would play a dominant role in his life. His early insights brought him Academy Award nominations in both acting and singing, Grammy and Golden Globe nominations, among many others. His unique style has paved the way for artists like Harry Connick Jr., Rod Stewart, and Michael Buble. And Frank, I'm so happy to welcome you uh, to our show. Thank you. You know, I never thought I'd hear Rod Stewart and Michael Buble <laughs> in the same uh, sentence there. That's uh, that's a very broad uh, range of uh, and diverse style that you have going on. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I really started it for myself uh, in the 80s after I lost my record deal after Staying Alive and music started becoming more techno, hip-hop and stuff like that. So I figured, well, let me just try something different that no one's doing. So then I figured I'd start doing the American Songbook. And so for my era, I was like one of the first guys of my era. Before that, uh, she's a little older, would be Lynn Bronze, that obviously was one. And Harry Nilsson was another one, but they were, you know, in the 70s. 
So I, I did it, and I figured, well, this will make me more of like an alternative band because mm -hmm. uh, no one, because no one was really doing that kind of music then, you know. And uh, so I figured that would happen, and we'll see what happened. I financed it myself. I found the great conductors in, in, in Sammy Nestico and Billy May, and we did the albums in a few days, just like in the old days, you know. And uh, <clears throat> got great responses uh, from like Tony Bennett, Sammy Kahn. Wow. Nominated for 23 Academy Awards. And, you know, it's all up on my uh, website, frankstallone.com. So, but the other thing was trying to make it cohesive because, you know, when I started doing it, people thought, ah, it's old people's music. I said, well, I'm not old. I like it, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. So, and then all these other guys, like uh, like Harry Connick, don't mind me, he's an urban sound. So all the other people like Harry Potter and all, they kind of came in on a, on a you know, pretty easy. I mean, Harry came in on Harry Met Sally, so basically he was a young guy that could play and sing a little bit. Mm -hmm. And well, he had a big movie thing behind him, which propelled him, and he had great management and all that stuff. Michael Buble, on the other hand, had Paul Anka and David Foster, you know, bring, bring them in. I'd never had that. I had to do it myself and just take the chance, but little by little... I started, you know, doing concerts, and it started catching on, but it's still always a tough road because, you know, it's almost like they, they think, you know, I, I just started it when in, <laughs> when in reality I was doing it like when they were still like in junior high school. Right. It's kind of a funny so, so when you're going through those those phases, I mean, you went through a phase uh, where you street singer to a rock singer to a big band singer. Were those different phases where you were actually trying to discover your own voice, or were those all of your voices? Well, they are all of my voices because as a kid, um, I mean, I was influenced by everything. It was a great era to, to belong. You know, it was a great era to belong with. You know, with the coming of Elvis Presley and the Beatles and the Stones, the English Invasion, all that stuff. It was just a very exciting time for music. And so for me, I loved all kinds of music. I mean, I loved everything. Even when I was a rock guy, like Frank Sinatra, like Mario Alonzo, I liked all the stuff. And the, and the thing was, I was very blessed by God that I really could sing the stuff. So I had albums to all these genres. I could... I could do it. I knew how to do it. Yeah, there's but no you, corporate you, espionage going on back back in those days. No, so. <laughs> and that's why they're original. And the only few people that sounded really original, obviously, well, the Beatles were great, but they'll tell you right away, they copied Beverly Brothers off the stuff, and you can hear it in the harmonies. Like, Cat Stevens was original sounding. No one sounded like him. Joni Mitchell, nobody really sounded like her. She had her own way of playing and stuff like that. So there are a few that slipped by. Mm -hmm. So I hear like the Christine Aguilera and stuff. I go, I am not hearing anything. All I'm hearing is someone that's trying to sound like a black blues singer. Because I've seen Eddie James. I've seen Ella Fitzgerald. I've seen Tina Turner. I've seen it. So you're not showing me anything new. You're just imitating. But when you see someone like Nora Jones, she sounded very interesting. She didn't sound like anybody. Music today, I mean, it is very much different from, you know, the way music was. You know, I have a friend who's a... Um, He's Gladys Knight's music director, and he uh, has been with her for years and years and years. He's her pianist as well, and he said, you know, he made a comment. He said, you know, you hear artists, and they put together, you know, one chord, like ping, 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 and they call that music. You know, that no, it's not music. When I see, like, hip-hop and DJ, these are guys that are sampling. They're not musicians. 
They're mm. sampling music of other people's music. Courses is, is it successful? Yeah, it's house music. It's kind of redundant. But it's nothing like when you listen to the Rolling Stones doing, you know, 19th Nervous Breakdown or ZZ Top doing Sharp Just Minute. These are really guys playing their instruments. And David Grohl, who's a friend of mine from Foo Fighters, said it at the Grammy Awards. He goes, what makes this important? And they got album of the year. It's like we recorded this with guitars in my garage to a tape machine. It's all about your craft. It's all about learning how to play your instrument. Mm-hmm. And it won album of the year. I mean, if you listen to all the great albums we talk about, that's how they were made. They are made on four-track recorders just going in there, rocking and roll. All those Beatles, all those Stones, all those Kinks records, all the Who records, all the Hendrix stuff, everything we like were made on eight-track and 16-track tape recorders. Wow. And, and, but it had a feel to it. There's a feel to it it had. That, that, that's what made it so important. There was nothing flashy about it. It was just real guys playing it. And, and I, that's how I started. And they go like this, well, you know, Frank, let's take that one more time. And you play it over and over until you get it right in the studio where it just sounds right. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you, and then you take it from there. Now everything is like, it's all digital, it's all this, it's all that. So you, you're missing a lot of that organic. You know, like when you listen to Sinatra records, Tony Bennett, Nat Cole, they weren't even singing to tape then. There was no tape. Yeah, They were singing to acetates. They were singing to an acetate record. You've performed in a number of concert halls all over the world. Do you have a favorite venue, or is there a place where you believe your music Mm. resonates with the crowds most? I mean, I I, I can tell you when I uh, studied uh, in China, um, Kenny G was a superhero to the Chinese. Um, But, you know, is there there a place that, you know, people really get you and and they, you know, they just, they want you? I mean, more so than... I'll tell you where it was. I'll tell you where it was. I've I've had places that you've never heard of. They're just little venues that are just filled with love and energy are great. But I'd say like concert halls, I would say when I toured England, the Hmm. northern and and the northern and the midlands of England in the 90s because they were going through a depression they're going through financial problems. But the English, you know, they love the big band stuff. The, you know, the British people love music, like the Irish. They're musical people. They love music, and they love the classics, and they like, you know, I kind of got a weird sense of humor, so the British kind of like the weird sense of humor. So it all kind of comes together. Italy, I couldn't do it. couldn't get arrested in Italy. I'm Italian. Just couldn't because they like their own kind of music. You know, Australia was huge. I played in Australia about a year and a half ago. We sold out the concert in four and a half minutes. It was a phenomenon. Because it's, but the thing is, in, in like Italy, my own my own heritage, they, they could care less. Mm. France, I've played in, but it's, it's a different thing. Usually if you're playing somewhere like in the UK, you know, they, there's not that language barrier and they kind of know rock and roll. Right. I know Japan likes rock and roll. I mean, I mean, Cheap Trick is like God in Japan. They're, because the Japanese so much like American music, American stuff, even though they're not really good at playing rock and roll, they're okay. I mean, they're better at classical stuff, but it's just not their thing. Mm-hmm. The language isn't conducive for rock and roll, you know what I mean? Right, right. You know, when you're running rock and roll, it doesn't work. <laughs> I mean, it, just, it just doesn't happen. But they, but they like it. Now, I was going to play in China once, but it was so much red tape, I said, I can't work like this. Yeah. They wanted to know the lyric content. They wanted to know what songs I was going to do. I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I have an idea of what I'm going to do, but I don't go by a script. And I said, it's no fun. I said, that's just the whole fun about it. You go on and you fly by the seat of your pants and you let go. But they were so, I think Korea would be saying, they're so strict. 
Mm-hmm. So I said, it's not like I'm doing a burlesque show. I'm doing a rock show. It's not like anything that's like <laughs> off color. You know? But they want to know the lyrics. I said, you probably wouldn't even know what the lyrics are about anyway. That's nothing to do. I mean, we're, we're, you know, I mean, I mean, if you did like, you know, if you played like, you know, Highway 61 by Bob Dylan, do you think the Chinese or Koreans would know why Abraham said, give me a son, we'll find him dead on Highway 61? They wouldn't know what the hell that is. Yeah. So, so it's, a, it's a different language. It's a whole different world. I, I think. I hope you take your comedy show on the road with you when you when you uh, when you see. I sing. do. <laughs> oh, I do. I, I, this is how I talk on stage. I mean, so the thing is, I'm not a scripted person. You know. I mean, you know. And then and, and but the thing is, the most important thing is having fun on stage. The thing is, laughter and fun is infectious. People love it. That's why look at Jimmy Buffett. Here's a guy who had one hit record. He makes $700,000 a concert mm. because he connected to the average Joe. He's mm-hmm. not pretentious. He's just, he's kind of a fun guy that has fun on stage. Mm-hmm. It's like Springsteen goes on stage. He has serious moments, but he has fun. It's like, hey, man, welcome to the party. And some guys just go on stage, go through the motions, and they're pretty boring. You know? Well, Frank, uh, yeah, in our in our uh, last few minutes, I, I have to ask you. Uh, you know, you've been in over fifty films. How on earth? I mean, first of all, do you sleep? And really, how do you balance live performances with a grueling production schedule? And do you prefer well, one art form over the other? I must say, uh, yeah, I've done close to sixty movies, but I must say this. Music is really, I mean, that's where I'm really out of, and that's where I'm really from. And, I, and you know, and I, and I love the idea of making movies. I love the idea of getting up, going to work. I'm like a type of guy that's never late. You know, I'm, not, that, I'm, I'm just old school. I, I'm just never late. I show up, do my job. Uh, the music is instantaneous, which is just wonderful. I don't have to worry about things because I don't have a family. I've never been married, so I don't really have to worry about that responsibility, thank God. So I don't have to, you know, uh, when are you coming home? I go, in two years, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, what's more important, me or your music? I said, well, you know that answer. So. <laughs> I mean, so that's kind of been the ruination of my, uh, and, you know, they asked me yesterday on a TV show, they go, how come you never got married? I said, well, I, I guess I just forgot. <laughs> I guess I, I waited around and I forgot. I don't know. I mean, there's really no answer. It wasn't like something that was a... Uh, you know, a pre-planned thing. It just as time went on, I forgot. You know. Well, and you know, thing, it, it's really hard, though. I mean, listen, it's not easy. Yeah. For a woman to be married to a musician, I mean, first of all, there's temptation at every corner. That's one. Second of all, you know, you're dealing with the adulation of a of a, of a live a live audience, and you know, and, and you're coming off stage. All of a sudden, the longer you're on the road, you become like come like a family. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's then when you come home you go through it's good for about a week and a half and you have withdrawals because you know you're addicted to you're addicted to what you do you know that's what you do for a living we right. do music. Well, I I hope you find your way back to Silver Spring, which was your birthplace. I understand. I cannot believe is that where you live? That's where we are. You know, I lived on 1957. I don't think it's a landmark anymore. <laughs> 1957 <laughs> Seminary Road. That's where I grew up. Oh, my gosh. I went to Woodland School, which was right down the street. My brother went to Montgomery Hills Junior High School, which is right next to us. And 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 right on the... How long have you lived there? Uh, ten years. 
Okay. But before there was a drugstore called B Mars, and there were Silvers. Snyder's Market is still there. I remember when I was a kid, Snyder's Market was just a little tiny hole in the wall in that little shopping center, and it was sawdust on the floor. It was a little, little tiny shopping center, <laughs> and it was a little one-horse town. There was the Silver Movie Theater, which we all went to. Wow. I think that's still there. I don't think they tore that down. I think it's kind of a landmark. Silver Theater right on George Avenue. Yeah, that's, that's changed too, but I think it, it's, you know, when when you do come back here, and it's nice to know that you still come back here uh, every so often, we certainly uh, would love to see you. And, and uh, I know your show, I would assume your show calendar, your event calendar is on your website, frankstallone.com? It is. It, okay. It is, and it's on my Facebook, which is you. I change my picture every day. And on my Twitter is uh, Stallone, at Stallone4. The number four real, and my website is frankstallone.com. And of course, you know I'm all the bells and whistles, Facebook and stuff. Are you on Facebook as well? I am, and I tried to find you actually okay. and friend you. So, um, oh yeah, I'm very easy. You'll 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 you'll, you'll see it's me. There's only you'll see what picture did I put up. There's today? several Frank Stallones actually. Oh, there's a picture. Yeah, but I know there's one guy. It's an Asian guy. I go, that's not Frank Stallone. <laughs> one guy that has red hair. I said, that's not Frank Stallone. If you look on there, Ted, you'll see me. I'm wearing sunglasses, sitting down, playing a blonde guitar, playing bottleneck. That's me. Okay. I will... That will be me. I will look... Is yours under your name? Yeah, Tanya Fitzpatrick. So, okay. Uh, and there's monkeys all over me, little uh, squirrel monkeys. So, in my I profile... I have a squirrel monkey. So <laughs> I did have a squirrel monkey. They they are so adorable, but holy cow! I have you know our cat is enough. Uh, he's enough uh, problem. He's enough maintenance right now. Tell me about it. I know. I mean, I had one. My brother went away to military school. My mother thought I needed a friend. Bought me a squirrel monkey and he attacked me. So. You know. Oh my god. But you know, yeah. So <laughs> it's just kind of a goofy thing there, but uh, oh. it's part of part of growing up, isn't it? Yeah. It's all really. Uh, Fun. I mean, I miss Maryland. I miss the, you know, we used to call them blue point crabs, and now they call them blue crabs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, but I, I still come down there. My friend lives out in uh, out in uh, Potomac. So I, got, I might be out there this summer, but the closest thing I'll be playing there on the East Coast will be a place called Mohegan Sun. It's an Indian casino in Connecticut. It's an awesome place. Okay. I'll be there July 10th, Mohegan Sun, and then I'm doing a TV show with Daryl Hall called Live from Daryl's House. That'll be leaving for there for about a week. And so we're just uh, doing, you know, this and that, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, we we will and, certainly uh, we will certainly meet um, in the very near near future. And I have a ton of stories to tell you to share with you about my. Um, Deceased, uh, he's now uh, now gone. But uh, my godfather, uh, who was from Bari, and um, he nearly really? got me, yeah, he nearly got me in trouble uh, with the Italian ambassador. He, you know, taught me Italian, but only bad words. And unfortunately, well, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I almost actually responded to the Italian ambassador in my quest to respond, you know, in in kind. Uh, to his language, you know, to uh, Italian when he was speaking to me, uh, I almost, I almost said a bad word, uh, and luckily I caught go, myself. And, yeah, and, so you've been in good company. Yeah, I know, I know. But Frank, thank you so much for for joining us today on on World Footprints. 
Well, thank you, dear, and uh, we will stay in touch. Coming up, the launch this month of a new film festival that will bring authentic travel experiences to life from the traveler's perspective. I think a big part, a uh, big impetus, I guess, for, for doing this was for people to show and to sort of allow, I guess, an audience to travel vicariously uh, through other people's adventures. Next as World Footprints continues. I'm Lord Richard, and I'm from Northern Ireland. And I have uh, a record company uh, which produces New Orleans records, jazz records from the 1960s and early 70s uh, from New Orleans. And uh, I just love World Footprints. Consider NationwideMall.com, America's online shopping mall for your shopping needs. There's a huge selection of stores to shop, and more stores are added weekly. Recent surveys show that more and more shoppers are looking in stores and then buying online. Shop NationwideMall.com from the comfort of your living room. Have an online store? NationwideMall.com is always looking to add more stores to complement the needs of our shoppers. That's NationwideMall.com, America's online shopping mall. Are you planning a vacation, a business trip, or a honeymoon abroad? Want to enhance your trip and make a meaningful contribution to the places you visit? Packforapurpose.org can show you how. Before you travel, visit Packforapurpose.org. It's easy to make a big impact. Hi, this is Johnny from New Orleans. Welcome, World Footprints, and come visit us in New Orleans sometimes. And now, more of World Footprints Radio with your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Ian Fitzpatrick. Travel is a visual art form, and a new film festival in New York promises to entertain, educate, and allow audiences to enjoy authentic travel experiences through a lens. Josh Wolf is the founder of the Nomading Film Festival, which launches in June, and he joins us today to take us on a cinematic journey. Josh, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This is wonderful. Well, there are a number of film festivals throughout the world. What inspired you to create the Nomading Film Festival? Well, it, you know, the idea came came to mind that, you know, while there are plenty of film festivals all over the world that bring together uh, a ton of, you know, creativity and, you know, in, in a variety of genres, there really wasn't something that brought, you know, people who love to just travel, whether you're a professional um travel blogger or you're just a lay person who just likes to travel and document your experiences with a camera, there just wasn't anything like that. And, um, you, you know, you mentioned I was, I'm the founder. Uh, it's actually four of us. And I brought this idea to three really good friends of mine, and uh, they loved the idea just as much as I did. And they, uh, we all ran with it. And, you know, like anything else, it, it's been a been an act of uh, collaboration between all of us, for sure. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I know about all of you guys, Josh, you are filmmakers, and so you're you're doing a little bit more than just walking the talk. You're actually doing um, your craft, and you know, and sharing your craft with a whole new audience. I, I I'm a documentary documentary director. Uh, I just finished a film. It's a feature length film. Uh, of course, there's travel involved with this film. We have based out of Nicaragua. You know, we've been producing this thing for about five years, um, produced by Nomading Films and Fallline Pictures, based out of D.C. Um, so that, that's the documentary side, but, you know, all four of us ha- are involved in the film industry in, in one way or another. Uh, for example, Mikey Cabal is an actor. 
Uh, Rassam documented a trip going to Everest Base Camp. Um, Andrew just got back to New Zealand where he was with his, uh, his wife for their honeymoon. And I just got back from Nicaragua, and I'm actually finishing up a short film based on that trip um, where we hiked up Pico de Orizaba for, for a nonprofit, actually. And um, it's going to be a short film, and we're going to be showing it at NAF 2 this summer. So, mm -hmm. yeah, to answer your question, we are all involved in the film industry one way or the other, for sure. Mm -hmm. Was was one of your goals when you guys started uh, the film festival to help people see the world through a different set of eyes, and you know, particularly the eyes of a camera? Right. So, you know, not everyone is able to just get out and travel. And, you know, there are people that do that for a living. Um, there are people who take their two weeks and they get out and they disconnect completely, but they still document their experiences and I think a big part, a uh, big impetus, I guess, for, for doing this was for people to show and to sort of allow, I guess, an audience to travel vicariously uh, through other people's adventures. And, you know, I feel like we we kind of had that experience last year where people really were engaged um, in, in all of our film finalist adventures last year. And we, we kind of had a nice variety, I think. And, um, yeah. So not everyone, you know, is able to get out and, and travel to places like India from the States. But, you know, you can watch a five-minute video and really uh, feel the fish-out-of-water experience. Now, give us a feel for some of the films that will highlight this year's festival. Ah, so you're asking me who the finalists are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no. No, we, we're not asking you for proprietary information. Uh. <laughs> And I just thought that was a pretty innocuous question. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you what we have this year on the on the we have eleven finalists, and you know, out of all the films that were that were submitted, it took us about two weeks to really come to a come to a consensus as to who the finalists were, and you know, that's a testament to how powerful some of these films are, how how adventurous some of these experiences are. And how strongly we felt as founders for for different films. Um, I will give you a sneak peek into uh, one of the films. Uh, one of the films takes us across a, a single country, and there, you know, hijinks ensues and um, weather gets in the way. But there are a couple of adventurous who documented an experience across, literally across a country. Uh, I'm not going to name the country because, uh, you know, I I feel like people are going to, I think the surprise will be well worth the wait, for sure. Sure, sure. So what's the submission process, um, Josh, you know, for the for the filmmakers out there who didn't get a chance to submit this year? What is your, your um, submission process and, and what criteria do you have in judging, um, you know, making a, a judging selection for the finalist? That's a really good question. So just to, you know, hit fast forward for a second, the film festival is going on June 23rd, uh, but we're going to launch NOS 3 um, sometime in August. That's when, we, that's when we're going to open up submissions once again. Um, and we're not really planning on changing the process much for next year. Um, travel films that are travel-related under uh, seven minutes or under are acceptable. And to give you an idea of what we how we, I guess, set out these films. Um, 
it goes back to our, our slogan, which is engage, explore, record. If your film is compelling and we feel like you've engaged, you know, in the travel experience, um, you know, everyone can be an explorer. You know, they're not just somebody with a, a khaki colored shirt like Indiana Jones. There are different kinds of exploration. Mm-hmm. And you recorded, you documented the experience, whether it's with a flip camera, an iPhone, or a professional camera. You have the, the video, the video um, evidence to, to show for it. And, you know, it's a fun piece, then you're probably going to get in. Um, it was a tougher, a tougher experience this year in boiling down all the films to a nice plot uh, because we received more submissions than last year. Um, but, yeah, you know, we, we had a businessman submit a film this year, and I will tell you off the bat, he traveled to Japan. So, you know, he kind of stood out, and he filmed the entire experience with a cell phone. Um, he never had, you know, film experience before this, but he was a complete fish out of water. Mm-hmm. That, that film made it into the finals. And we're pretty happy. Yeah, and and that was, you know, something I was going to ask you is um, you're not looking for professionally produced um, films for for this, for the festival, or, you know, professionally per se, not from people who are in the industry. You're not looking for just those types of um, of films, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've run into these question marks where it's like, okay, well, what? what's the line between somebody who happens to be really good at filming and editing a piece um, and somebody who's an absolute professional who goes out and travels and does this? Um, I'll tell you what, it doesn't necessarily make a better video that you have an incredibly expensive camera and you capture beautiful images. That's not necessarily engaging to us. Um, somebody, and this, is, this speaks to a finalist from last year, this guy, a Canadian traveler went out to India and simply got a haircut in this tiny haircutting salon in the middle of some random town in India um, and he just shot the entire experience where they cracked his neck, they cracked his ears Ooh. they shaved part of his eyebrows and he was kind of a silly guy and an audience just absolutely loved the, the film <laughs> um, and it was filled with laughter, I mean people watched it was like a six minute film and people were laughing at three seconds. People absolutely loved it. So was it shot professionally? Absolutely absolutely not. Was it shot with the most HD camera? Definitely not. But you know what? That This was an engaging piece that people could relate to, that people were talking about after after the festival. Um, so oh, we're not looking for, you know, the... Uh, Michael Bay, you know, filmmakers out there who happen to have a $30,000 camera. Mm-hmm. We're looking for per- personalities, people that go out that show they, that they can engage in the experience while, while they're abroad and, um, you know, people that leave their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. What really makes these films powerful? Is it, is it how the traveler engages with other people uh, uh, to, that, uh, to that locale, or is it... Uh, just them recounting their experience uh, in a film, or, or is it, or is it something else, or, or a combination of other factors that I didn't even uh, delineate there? Uh, I, I think it boils down to the the idea of engagement. Like you know, we received 
a lot of submissions this year, and there were quite a few beautifully shot films um, that were great in and of themselves, but we never really got got the sense that the filmmaker, the traveler, really engaged in that area of the world or that, you know, with, with the people they were surrounded by. If you come to the festival this year, you'll see the finalists, and you'll definitely get the sense that, I, I hope you will, that the people really engaged with the people that they were surrounded by. Um, not just other travelers, but the people of that country, of that state, of that province, wherever they were. And I think that's the essence that we're, that we're going, uh, going with. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a film last year that people really loved, and I feel like it may have been considered a very random film to get in, but people loved it, and we absolutely adored it. It was a short film. It was an eight-minute piece. Last year, we were accepting films that were 15 minutes or under. We obviously had uh, changed that. Um, this film was a, a random shot by a traveler in a car who happened to stop in Kruger National Park in South Africa and witnessed a birth, the birth of a baby elephant. And there may have been four edits in the, in the entire film, but the person just saw the, the mother just giving birth, and the whole film was the birth and the mother trying to get the baby up and, and walk. And then it starts to rain, and the, the, the baby was flipping on the mud and failing and getting back up and tripping. And I'm telling you, in a room with 150 people, the oohs and the ahs, and everyone was going for the baby elephant. And you knew that this person, this filmmaker who was experiencing it, was just so engrossed in the experience. They had uh, just a, you know, a consumer-grade camera. It was shot through a window where they rolled the window down. And I'm telling you, the, the experience was just pretty gripping. Hmm. Now, in, in terms of the people attending the festival, who are you reaching with uh, uh, your films? Or who do you want to reach? Uh, you mean as in terms of people to actually attend? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I think that, you know, if I, if I said we would love for travelers to come to the film festival, uh, that's a pretty broad stroke. I, I feel like most people, um, you know, like different elements of travel, whether or not you get to leave for a week out of the year or six months. Um, I think people love sharing travel experiences, the stories that you hear at, at the Nomadic Film Festival, the films, the whole experience. And, you know, we're having, we have lawn games, you have a photo booth. Um, one of our new relationships is with, is with Brooklyn Boulders, and they're installing the 70-foot rock climbing wall on the lawn, and it's going to be next to a wow. taco truck. So we have all these things going on. And so even if you're not this traveler who likes to go out in the middle of South Africa and do all these adventurous things, the stories that you hear, the live music that you'll experience, I think there's a little bit of everything for a little bit. There's something for everyone Mm -hmm. at the festival, Um, not just the diehard travelers. Um, Yeah. Yeah. We get a lot of people who might be, you know, the armchair traveler, you know, somebody who likes to experience the, the traveling vicariously to other people. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing. I think that's a very powerful, that's a pretty powerful experience, too. Sure. And 
Yeah. Yeah. Now, when we were talking earlier, you know, I mentioned that one of the things that I love about um, what you guys are doing with the film festival is your commitment to also giving back. And you folk, you, you have um, selected uh, four charities, um, each that, you know, four charities that um, that uh, each of you have selected on your own um, to support through the film festival. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so we want to be a for-benefit company. This is, from the beginning, we've always wanted to uh, not only give back, but to partner with companies that do good for the environment um, for now and and for the future. Uh, And to that end, we decided that we want to give a percentage of not only our submission fees, but um, for the entire festival back to uh, different nonprofits. And we decided, okay, well, we're not going to all agree on a single nonprofit, you know, to sort of donate to. So let's all do our own research and come up with uh, select nonprofits for ourselves that um, we will divide the uh, the money that comes in amongst the four. Um, we have 100 cameras, um, which is an awesome organization, Matador Youth Scholarship Fund, mm. Project Explorer and Teen Living Programs out of Chicago, doing awesome work with uh, Chicago youth. Um, and, and going back to the submissions, if you were to submit a film to now, at the end of the application form, you get to actually choose one of those four, uh, you know, to, to donate your portion of your submission fee to. And to that end, you know, and right, right now, it's not so much set up to this, but we, we hope that by giving the submitter the, the choice to learn about a new nonprofit that, that they may not have been exposed to before, mm-hmm. and that will help you know broaden the uh, the reach and scale of these nonprofits. Josh, in our closing minutes, you had touched on uh, some of the environmental and conservation themes in some of the films, and I understand that you have a film that screened at DC's Environmental Film Fest. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so. The, the feature film that, I, that I've directed called My Village, My Lobster, uh, so, shameless plug is the website, it's a lobsterfilm.com. Um, that, that's a film I started five years ago and, and partnered up with producer Brad Allgood out of DC. Uh, he's with Fall Live Pictures. Um, the film deals with a very serious topic um, that's a pretty unknown issue out of Central America involving the lobster trade. Um, Basically, 95% of the lobsters caught in, in Central America, specifically Nicaragua, are sent to the U.S. For, for our own consumption. And the issue involves these men and their families. The men are dying from this practice, um, and they're, they're also becoming paralyzed. A lot of guys, hundreds of them, if not thousands, are becoming paralyzed, and a smaller percentage of that are, are killed from the practice from decompression sickness. And, of course, the trickle down to the families is pretty horrendous, um, seeing as how these men are the, you know, the breadwinners of the family. Mm. So we spent five years following these, these characters that are, that are pretty close to, to the film. And uh, I, I don't want to get too much away, but we have, uh, we premiered at the D.C. Environmental Film Festival. Uh, we had a pretty big screening at the International Wildlife Film Festival in Missoula, Montana. We had a string of through Central America, Colombia, and Nicaragua. And now we're looking at partnering with the Department of Labor to have a screening in D.C. Um, this summer. So there's a, there's a lot of momentum behind that. And, 
similar to what we're doing with NOF by building a community of partners, uh, my village, my officer partnered with the Divers Alert Network, which is at Dan.org, the largest diving network on the planet. And they're trying really hard to bring all the players to the table to help solve this crisis in Central America. And that's, that's been the goal of film from the beginning, is to create dialogue so we can bring players to the table to help figure this out. Um, we hope people come to a screening if you, you know, your listeners can check us out at thelobsterfilm.com and the, uh, the trailer there and upcoming screening. Can, can be found there as well. Sure, and, and I'm sure you'll let us know when you're when you come down this way, um, so that you know we can uh, also attend and, and invite you know in real time um, our you know our listeners, our followers, uh, etc. And certainly as a as a scuba diver, I'm very um, interested in this cause and and in the Divers Alert uh, Network, and so I'll be following up with you on on, on that note as well. Um, but you're you're doing a lot of uh, wonderful things, Josh, to to build some positive legacies and leave some positive um, footprints. And um, thank you so much for you know for for just giving back. Um, and and I love your 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 uh, saying that you are pro benefit or pro. Uh, what was, I forgot what you said. Um, for, uh, for benefit. For benefit. <laughs> love it. Love it. So um, thank you so much for being such a good for benefit uh, company and, and for everything you're doing. And thank you for spending some time with us today on World Footprints. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I, I would love to encourage your listeners to check out the Nomading Film Festival June 23rd. Uh, it's at 1 p.m., but tickets are going pretty quick. They're, they're actually going faster than they did last year. Um, we had a few massive surprises for the day that I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm not going to mention now. They wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if I did, obviously. Um, but you can buy tickets off of our website at nomadingfilmfest.com. Um, yeah. Great, and we'll we will have links to um, Nomading Film Festival and Lobster Film uh, on your guest page and, and also on this show page. Awesome. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, guys, and thank you for your awesome work, too. This is, this is amazing. You're welcome. After the break, Laura Law Millett, co-founder of the GI Film Festival, stops by to talk about the festival's role in sharing the stories of valor and sacrifice of the American military and much more. We have the real-life heroes. So sometimes you'll have a documentary or a narrative covering a subject of a war hero or a family who served, and then you actually get to meet the people who were on the screen, whose story was covered on the screen. And knowing that you've met someone who went through all that service and sacrifice, it, it's a pretty emotional moment. People people get choked up at our festival. Next, as World Footprints continues. Hi, this is Keenan Jonah. Welcome to New Orleans. We're here with the World Footprints people, and they are the best people in the world. Don't have the time to give back to the community? No time to socialize or network? Then volunteer with OneBrick. Volunteer only when it fits your schedule, and then join us for food, drinks, and great conversation afterwards. It's a great way to meet new people, have fun, and help the community. Join us at www.onebrick.org. That's www.onebrick.org. OneBrick. Volunteering made easy. My name is Mo. I was born and raised in Alexandria, Egypt, and I lived in New Orleans for almost 17 years. 
and I, I like to hear wallet footprints. Thank you. You're listening to World Footprints Radio, awarded as the best travel audio podcast by the North American Travel Journalists Association. Here's Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. Laura Law Millett has channeled her military service, entrepreneurial spirit, and entertainment experience to co-found the GI Film Festival in 2007. Laura and her husband Brandon created the GI Film Festival for one simple reason, to let artists tell the story of our great troops, their successes, and their sacrifices. The GI Film Festival has become the nation's most significant venue for the screening of military films, and many films have gone on to achieve notable success. And we're very happy to welcome Laura to our show. Laura, thank you so much for joining us. No, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. Now, you know, I must say we, we cover um, a few film festivals, or quite a few film festivals throughout the year, and this is our second year covering the GI Film Festival, and there's something so special about this festival that just really inspires a lot of emotion and, and, and certainly patriotism. Was this what you initially intended, or was this kind of your desire when you started the film festival to create this type of emotional feeling? But we definitely had an image in mind of what we wanted to accomplish with the film festival, but we were surprised our first year and have been surprised ever since then, um, the reaction that people have had. I I think the difference that separates us from other film festivals is that in in addition to viewing the great films that we have to screen, you get to meet the filmmakers and the directors and the people behind the screen, which um, most film festivals will have directors for you to meet. But I think in addition to that, we have the real-life heroes. So... Sometimes you'll have a documentary or a narrative covering a subject of a war hero or a family who served, and then you actually get to meet the people who were on the screen, whose story was covered on the screen. And knowing that you met someone who went through all that service and sacrifice, it, it's a pretty emotional moment. People people get choked up at our festival, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm, indeed. Oh, what, what inspired you to create the GI Film Festival? What was your aha moment? Our aha moment really started because um, I had 14 years experience in the Army. I'm a West Point graduate, and uh, my husband has a career in PR. And he just he just read an article in the LA Times where the author had written a story suggesting that soldiers should be held accountable and charged for murder for participating in war. And I had just seen another movie that coming out in Hollywood where the soldier was being portrayed as, as a drug dealer. And at that time, it just seemed like there were several movies about the military coming out, and in every movie... There was a military character who was a drug dealer, a rapist, a murderer, or a thief, and it just frustrated me. And mm-hmm. so my husband and I, through a conversation we had, we just said, you know, there's got to be something done about this. There has to be something that shows the other side of the story. And so we thought, you know, people are moved by films. People are moved by visual stories. So what can we do to help them see the other side? And then we decided, why not a film festival? And we looked around, and we were surprised there was no other military film festivals around, and and so we just decided to start one, and that's how the GI Film Festival came into being. Wow. Now, this festival has attracted some major celebrity support, and you've made it look somewhat easy, uh, but I'm sure the first few years were pretty challenging. Talk about how those uh, first few years were and some of the challenges that uh, you encountered and how you overcame those. Well, the first few years were absolutely challenging, and I think it's because we have no track record, and we no one knows who you are, but we have an idea, and we said this is what we want to do. But uh, one of the first phone calls that we made to was Gary Sidis, and he was 
came right on board. So we were very, very fortunate that he liked what we were doing, and he's a huge supporter of the troops. In fact, when he arrived to our 2007 festival, he had just gotten off a plane um, from visiting the troops in Afghanistan. So he mm-hmm. hadn't even, you know, dusted the sand off his, his boots yet before walking to the film festival to help participate and, and celebrate the troops. So getting to know him and then, you know, through his connections, and then just once you meet one or two, it, it, you know, Arlie Ermey was one of our first uh, celebrities to also come on board and love what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, once you start meeting one or two, then more, more and more common. We were so fortunate we've had Glenn Close, uh, Kelsey Grammer, Robert Duvall, Faison Love, um, gosh, uh, Stephen Baldwin. And this year we had Joe Mantania and the cast of Army Wives. We're going to have Sally Pressman, Brian McNamara. We were able to honor Ross Perot this year. So once you get one or two, it's like the list starts to grow and people learn about what you're doing and they want to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you kind of build up your your um, celebrity creds, I guess, uh, yeah. just starting with that one. Now, a lot of films have gone on to achieve Academy and Emmy Awards, among many other things. Is there, I know this is your your baby and, and all of the films that come in are, are kind of your babies, but is there one film in particular that has stood out for you over the years? Oh, my goodness. You're right. <laughs> it's like having children. You can't say which one is your favorite. Um, they're they're all so great. It's, I mean, we were honored. We showed Operation Homecoming, which was nominated for an Academy Award. Uh, the Way We Get By, I believe they were also nominated for Academy Award. We've had some other films that have gone on to Showtime, HBO, that have been um, Emmys, that have been shown on PBS, DVD distribution, movie, movie theater screenings really hard to pick a favorite one. I, I think what if I had to pick just for various reasons our, our last two our um international award winning film, Talibanyad. It was a beautiful short film about World War Two Australia and and the service of the soldiers there and, and the families who served. It's one of my favorites. And this year we're showing an, another film, a short film kind of titled Jockstrap Raiders, which mm-hmm. has a funny title but it, it's a cartoon and it's a comedy and it's based on World War One. And we don't do many comedies about war or about service and sacrifice, and so it's going to be fun to show that one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, what is the audience? Do you have a desire to reach out to a wide demographic of people, you know, from children to adults, certainly, you know, military, non-military? Do you, do you have a targeted audience that you're trying to reach? We have a couple, a couple different audiences that we're trying to reach. I would say definitely not children. Most of our films are um, not rated, but they're independent films, so they haven't been rated by the MPAA yet. And some of the subjects matter. It can be heavy or pretty serious. But we first, our first audience we want to reach out to are the troops. We want them to see their stories being portrayed honorably uh, on the screen and that they can see there are movies out there that celebrate them rather than denigrate them. So that's our first audience that we want to reach. The second audience that we're looking to reach are actually members of, of Hollywood to show them, hey, you know what, uh, here's how you can make a story about the military, or here's what the military's all about. So you can make a story that can be a blockbuster film once you know who these men and women are and what they do. And we've actually had some successes with that. We had a major Hollywood producer um, come to our film festival one year. He was able to see some of the films and actually meet some of the real-life heroes in those films. And then he called us two or three days later and said, my wife and I have been up all night since the festival. We can't sleep. We we're trying to figure out what we can do to support the troops. We're trying to figure out how we can do a better job of portraying the military in film. Mm-hmm. So being able to connect to people who have no concept of the military, who have never met anyone in uniform, and then having them make more accurate films 
is a secondary uh, audience that we're trying to reach and a secondary mission that we're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Now, Laura, I want to brag about you a bit. Uh, as a West Point graduate, uh, as, as a young woman in uh, the academy there, you went on to have an 18-year career as an officer in the Army Reserves, and you earned multiple awards for your service. How did you go from West Point to the place where you are now with this film festival. That's a pretty remarkable and interesting journey, I can imagine. Yes, it's been a, a long journey. Well, um, I have to say, you know, West Point is a leadership academy. It is It, it trains men and women to become officers in, in the military as, as well as become leaders of the nation. And while we be, learn information, we learn how to be an officer, we learn how to serve our country, we learn how to, to run the military, we also learn how to run organizations and how to lead people and how to inspire people. And I just think those skills are transferable, whether it's in the military, serving in uh, multiple deployments overseas where when I served during my career, or whether it's you know, starting your own organization and, and trying to train people and trying to convince people to follow your dreams. So I think all those skills are, are transferable. Mm-hmm. Indeed, and, and certainly the last one resonates uh, very much with us. Um, before I move on to, to an, another topic that's very near and dear to our heart, I want to ask for the filmmakers who are listening what your submission process is and, and how you you know select films to be included in uh, the GI Film Festival. Uh, absolutely. We start our submission process in November of every year for our May Film Festival. And so we will put out a call for entries on many filmmaker websites, filmmaker publications. We also use an online service. Um, called Without a Box, and so filmmakers will then sign up and submit their films. Our criteria are that one character within the film has to be military or former military, and that the military character is treated with respect. And then after that, um, we hope that the film is interesting and um, well-made, so that an audience uh, will enjoy watching it. And, and that's it. And every year, we generally get about 200, 250 submissions, and wow. we narrow it down. And this year, we're screening 42 films, so... Out of that large pool, we watch all the films and sort through the very best ones, and we screen the top ones. Wow. Now, you're also a philanthropist, and you've created a foundation that raises awareness about an issue that's uh, that we're also on the front lines fighting. Talk about your foundation, Not Too Young to Care. Well, I started Not Too Young to Care um, partially just through my travels in the military and traveling around the world and going to some third world countries and and seeing the poverty there and, and seeing how a lot of young kids and especially women and young children are struggling and how it is so easy for them to be convicted and, or not convicted, but convinced and entrapped into sex trafficking. And it's just, uh, just a passion of mine that it's just so frustrating that not enough is being done um, about it. And so uh, I found it not too young to care and really our mission is that is try to get young people more involved and how they can get involved is just through fashion. I mean, young people wear T-shirts, young people wear clothing, or like fashion, and so they buy these T-shirts, and then our proceeds go to organizations that help, or actually are on the front lines, or are doing things to stop the sex trafficking. Now, with respect to both the GI Film Festival and talk about uh, Not Too Young to Care, how can our audience uh, help those endeavors? What, what kind of support would help uh, in both of those causes? Well, for the GI Film Festival, a great thing to do to help support is to, you know, if you're in the area, buy a ticket and, and come and, and watch these films and participate. I mean, that's the greatest support we can ask is, is for people to see these great films. 
If you're not in the area, uh, we're going to be showing our films on the Pentagon channel, so you can tune in and watch them starting May 18th. Every week we'll have a new film airing on the Pentagon channel, which is broadcast into 34 million homes. Um, other than that, we're also going to try to take the festival on the road and take it to cities around the country, so hopefully we'll come to your city. And if, you, if that still doesn't get you, then you really uh, just check out our website and then post information about when these films are available and so that um, you can purchase them from the filmmaker's website that they try to sell their DVDs. Mm-hmm. And for Not Too Young to Care, we'd ask you to visit the website, buy a T-shirt, and, and to help, you know, us fight trafficking uh, through your purchase of T-shirts. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, certainly when you start traveling with the GI Film Festival, if you want to take your favorite radio show along with you, we'd be more than happy to accompany you. <laughs> uh, we'd love to. We'd love to have you on the road with us. That would be great. <laughs> Now, speaking of, you know, travels, uh, I know you, you traveled around the world. You served in a number of countries. Um, is there is there a particular destination that you've actually enjoyed either in the service or, or leisurely when, you, when you've been around? And is there a, a destination that really resonated with you and transformed you? Wow. Um, it's really hard to say. I love to travel, and I love to learn about foreign countries. I would say that I I love going to Turkey because the food is amazing and mm-hmm. the people are friendly. <laughs> so that's, that's one of the things that I love. I love being in Korea because there was a sense of community and, and the way they, they take care of each other and the way the sense of family is something that I don't necessarily see as big side so often. So I feel like every country has their unique quality that, that made them interesting and made them worthwhile visiting. Now, as the festival wraps up, it's held every May, it's it's quite an undertaking, as we've seen firsthand. Tell us about the planning process and what you've already got going on for next year's festival, if you can. Sure. Yeah, the planning process, it's pretty much a year-round planning process. We already know that we're going to start accepting submissions in November 2012 for our 2013 festival. We're also planning right now an event we're going to show some of the best of the GI Film Festival film November 9th uh, for Veterans Day weekend in Los Angeles at the Los Angeles Film School. So we're starting to plan. We're also going to hold uh, some more video contests throughout the year in partnership with some other agencies. So there's all sorts of other GI Film Festival related events that, that are being planned throughout the year so that, that people remember us and remember what we're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Well, Laura, we thank you so much, first of all, for your service um, in on a number of fronts. And, um, you know, you're certainly a, a wonderful guest and, and a poster child for someone who is building positive legacies and, and leaving positive footprints. And so we thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, oh, thank you, guys. Great. It's our pleasure. Laura Law Millett is a co-founder of the GI Film Festival, and there is a link to the GI Film Festival on this show page and Laura's guest page. Thank you again, my dear, for joining us. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you want more of World Footprints Radio, including our World Footprints Travel Report, giving you the latest breaking travel news, visit us at worldfootprints.com. And while there, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we'll see you on the air again real soon. And until then, we wish you blue skies and purposeful travel that leaves positive footprints one step at a time. Hi, guys. My name is Sandy Best, the Sandy Best from Lake Louise. Where's Lake Louise? It's in Alberta. Alberta's in Canada. 
Bath National Park. Natural beauty. The only place you should go with is World Footprints Radio. They spend their time looking at those special places that are not tourist traps. There are not thousands of people. For the best on the planet, go with World Footprints Radio. World Footprints Radio is a presentation of Travel and On Media Productions, LLC. All rights reserved.